John Rahm gets it done in very impressive fashion. Amazing. Let's tee it up. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Data Access Golf Podcast on a Data Monday. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully, you got to watch a little of the uh, Hero World Challenge over the weekend. I thought it was pretty, pretty great golf. Fun to watch those guys playing kind of in these off seasons and I think that uh, uh, Tiger's little tournament is um, very interesting to watch. You have so many good players playing in there. So obviously John Rahm, congratulations, really played well. Um, he is an ASU grad, so go Devils. I uh, did my graduate work there, love the Sun Devils. And uh, so good for him, great to watch him play. So I kind of wanted to get in some of the data then of his win and kind of who he is and and how he's playing. So I wanted to start there. First off, rounds of 71, so kind of got off to a slow start. Then 63, which kind of threw him right into the mix, right at the top there. 69 and finished with a 65. So very impressive. Uh, kind of ran away with it there at the end as uh, my local favorite, Tony Finau, um, sort of faltered there a bit. There was a three-stroke swing there on, I think, the 16th hole. So... Uh, was definitely pulling for um, my good friend uh, Tony, but um, didn't work out. But again, if, if uh, Sun Devil can win it, then great. Good on you. So a couple of things that uh, I wanted to bring up on John Rahm is, first and foremost, if we look at his stats, his PGA Tour stats, the thing that really jumps out at you, he's got two PGA Tour, PGA Tour victories already. Um, he's got three international victories. His highest uh, FedEx Cup ranking, as far as finish goes, was fifth, which, again, he's only been on tour a couple of years, right? So that's kind of amazing. He's broken through. He's been awesome and super consistent, which is great. Um, as far as consistency goes, you all know that I like to look at uh, cuts made. Well, he's played in 56 events, and he's made 48 cuts. So that's a pace of about 86%. So again, very, very impressive play. He came out, everybody kind of knew that he was going to be something coming out of college, or at least everybody supposed that he was going to be something coming out of college. And he's definitely one that has not wilted and has played uh, exactly like everybody thought he would. Uh, and not, frankly, not many do out of college. So really impressive and a great win for him for sure. The thing that really jumped out at me is, again, we know he's only been a couple years on tour. He is already, his um, total money is already over $11 million. So pretty amazing and something else. So really, congratulations to John. There's one thing that I, I found a little weird on golf.com, though, and I'm just going to throw it out there because it kind of bothers me a bit but that it seems like any time we talk about a player, or I, this is more on sort of golf.com. I guess Golf Channel sometimes does it as well. But when you start reading about a specific player and you want to kind of look at him and kind of get some information on it, somewhere in there, there's always like some kind of a weird link 
to pictures with them and their uh, significant other, which is, I, I mean, I guess they wouldn't put it up there if people weren't interested in that. But I always find that to be a little, a little odd. So for whatever that's worth. Um, I wanted to get kind of into John Rong swing because swing a little bit because I think there's some things that we can learn from from his swing. First off, he is a he's a big guy, right? He's just a, a a big dude, but he has a very very short golf swing, and it is the first time I saw it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! This young kid who can move it that far um, c- can really move the ball. And there's a couple reasons for that, again, based on what I can see. First off, his, he moves his body so well that a longer, a longer backswing, I think, might be a real problem for him, honestly. So that's the first thing. The second thing you'll notice, notice is when he gets to the top of his backswing, he has really preset his wrist and really bowed his wrist, his lead wrist. Very similar to a Dustin Johnson who has a much longer swing. And this pre-setting of the wrist is, it's an interesting move. It's obviously one that, that now two very prominent players have on tour, especially to have it sort of pre-set up there. There's, there's a lot of talk about knuckles down and stuff at impact. I'm not one that really buys into sort of all these conscious thoughts, all these conscious swing thoughts. So I don't like the idea of knuckles down and impact. Because then you're thinking about something, and that goes into a totally different part of the golf swing where I, you know, we cannot play conscious golf. It's a terrible place to play golf. So I don't care if that's your only swing thought. Now you're, you're trying to time knuckles down? Yeah, good luck with that, especially as amateurs. We just don't have the time to practice that kind of, those kind of moves. We have to simplify everything. So the thing about John Rahm and why he gets away with, if you watch his swing and go look it up, go, there's a, a bunch of his swing out there because it, it is so unique to everybody else out there. With a, short, with a short swing like that, and then as he comes down to the ball, you'll see that his wrist, as, he, as his, his hands start to pass the ball, and it looks like he is, that wrist is so, so bowed that you would expect the face to be completely shut coming into the ball, right? Because based on everything else, you would expect that to happen. But the face is not. It does not match up with that bowed wrist. Um, It's actually pretty square, which makes sense. He's a good driver of the golf ball. So how does he do that? Well, it comes to his the fact that his body is so fast that he's opened up everything and kind of made it so it's held. It's it holds that face from closing. Because he, his body has moved so fast and opened up and, and brought it through that, it, that the release has been held off. And that's how he gets a, away with that bowed wrist. Now, that's not a movement that I would, that I would recommend to any amateur. We just we don't have the time to hit a million balls and figure it all out like these guys do. We don't have coaches to support us and all that. So again, I go back to make sure at the top of your backswing that... The back of your wrist, right, of your lead hand, the back of your wrist and the, the club face, the front edge of the club face, match up, right? So it's square. So a la Tiger Woods or Adam Scott, go look at their swings. Much more traditional, much easier to maintain. Uh, another thing that John Rahm does is he shallows out his backswing. That just means that he, he drops it to a different plane and c- kind of comes in. Again, it's a very powerful move. It's one where you can generate more club head speed. 
and we have data in some of these um, devices to show that, 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 that my personal swing speed can go up if I allow that two-plane swing, but my consistency goes way down. Finding the center of the club face goes way down when you compare a, a one-plane swing to a two-plane swing. And again, that's, that's me, but it's also on everybody else that I've looked at with this. As soon as you, as soon as you add more variability into a golf swing, you're going to lose consistency. And that's just, that's just simple math, right? You start adding a bunch of stuff, you're just going to have a bigger number, right? So we want to simplify our golf swing as much as possible so we don't have to practice 12 hours a day and we don't have to rely on timing. We're trying to take all the timing out of it. And that means we don't have to use conscious thought. We don't have to do anything. We kind of get up into a simple motion, very square. We sequence properly down into the ball, very simple. And if we can keep our golf playing a, a swing simple, then we'll play better golf, more consistent golf, and we'll le need less range time, right, to play good golf. So it's about finding a good swing plane, an, uh, an on-plane swing plane that's simplified, with very few extra added movements so we then don't have to rely on timing and manipulation to get the club face back to the ball and hit it in the center of the club face, right? So John Rahm, an amazing player. I think that he gets away with playing like he does, one, because he can practice so well. Two, he has excellent eye-hand coordination. He has to have a short backswing because his body moves so well and moves so quickly that I think that he would get, if he went back any further, he would get stuck a lot because he drops it. He's got a two-plane swing. So he has basically learned for the speed of his body, he can't swing all the way back. He has to stop it sort of short, lets it drop, and with that bowed wrist as well, and as fast his body has to be fast. So he's got a lot of things working there that fight against his consistency. But he's done a lot of things like shortening, shortening his backswing and, and moving his body so quickly that then make that all work out for him very well. I mean, he hits the ball a long way. He generates a lot of speed and he wins tournaments. So there's, you kind of, ha we have a hard time kind of knocking him on how he plays his game. But if we tried to play that way as amateurs, I think that very few of us would find that to be a consistent and easy way to play golf. We just don't have the athleticism and we don't have the time to practice that a John Rahm does. And um, I know that my body does not move as fast as his does. Um, mine, and, and there's no prayer of it ever getting that way. It doesn't matter if I have the time to do yoga four times a day. It's not going to happen. So kind of some cool things to look at. Definitely go look at John Rom's swing. Uh, take a look at it. It's very in interesting. It's fascinating. Watch that movement as he comes down and you see that bowed wrist as it passes the ball and then you see the club face come in, you'll notice that the club face, the front edge of the club face and the back of his wrist do not match up. And that's because his body is just so dang fast. He gets it around so quickly. And for a guy that big, that's impressive. Now, down the road, I don't know if that means it could cause some back troubles or whatever. I'm not that kind of a doctor, so I don't know. But I would, I would think that something like that could probably happen over time. He just moves so fast. But anyway, so that's it for John Rahm. Amazing win, very fascinating golf swing, and he he knows he knows his swing, and he knows what's work what it works, and and because of that, and because of the work that he's put in, he knows what it feels like, and he knows how to make it work for him, and it does. But for an amateur to do a move like John Rahm, I think would be very difficult long term.
if you didn't have a lot of time to practice and you, and you didn't have the speed, it would be very difficult to implement that type of a golf, golf swing and be good with it. So last little thing that I just noticed, this is sort of a side note, something that I noticed as I was just watching the tournament and I pull it up on my computer every once in a while to kind of check on, you know, look at things and see how things are going. So I pulled up the leaderboard one night and if you go to the PGATour.com, they are sponsored by Titleist. And so on all their leaderboards, they'll have a little Titleist next to all the players' names of all the players that are playing Titleist. And I noticed in the Hero World Challenge that there was, there's 18 players, right? Only five. Only five players of the 18 are playing Titleist balls. And that just, for somebody who was raised on Titleist, right? And if you found a Pro V1 out in the, in the booger bushes, that was like gold, right? And I, my kids, when my kids were on uh, the golf team in high school, they would rifle through my bag and take Pro Vs, right? Because they traded them one another in like prison and cigarettes, right? They'd trade these Pro V1s on the golf team for like different clubs and everything. I mean, Pro Vs were it. And so it's so, I mean, it just sort of freaks me out a little bit to see Titleist with, what is that? Five out of 18 is what, 28%? So only 28% of those entered or playing in the Hero World Challenge were playing a Titleist ball. So, I mean, right? Does anybody else feel, it's a freaky world we live in. What's going on around here? So, I I mean, Bridgestone, I guess Callaway and TaylorMade are really making a dent in the golf ball industry. So, it's completely fascinating. It used to be so easy to just go, you know what, Pro V1's the best ball, that's it. I played the the, the B330 for a while, the Bridgestone, and then uh, the dimple pattern got so ugly I couldn't play it anymore. So, I went back to the Pro V1s and I've been playing them since. But uh, I also played the, the TaylorMade for a little while. I can't remember which ball it was. Um, it was when they first came out. They're a great ball, a five-layer ball. Dang, I can't remember the name of it, but great ball. Enjoyed that for a while. Back to Titleist because I can get my custom number and have my custom stuff put on it where the other um, companies don't really allow that yet. I always play with a 78, which is um, – and this is a here, – here you go, guys. Here's, here's a free one for everybody out there. You ready? Okay. Order golf balls with your wife's birth date on it. Right, so I play a seven eight. My wife's birthday is July eighth. Okay, every year that's how that works. So July eighth, I look down at my golf. So when I'm trying to remember what my wife's birthday is, what do I do? I just remember my golf ball, my golf ball number. Done. So I look brilliant and never forget. When everybody, anybody asks me what my wife's birthday is, I just have to remember seven eight. That's the golf ball I play. And that's probably the number I look at the most. So, hey, so just do yourselves a favor. From now on, you know, when the, when the free customization stuff comes out, order a bunch of golf balls with your wife or your spouse's, you know, birth date on it. However you can figure that out. Save your life a lot of grief. And that's, that's just a freebie today on a day to Monday for all you listeners. Uh, <laughs> all seven of you. But there you go. There's a freebie. I hope you enjoy it. But anyway, that wraps it up for a data Monday. As always, please remember and, and never forget better data always means better golf. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com, and we'll see you on the next episode.